Noah, what is the key insight? Hexapodia is the key insight. Six feet. And what is that supposed to mean? That there is often some key nugget of fact that if you understand it correctly and place it in its proper context will transform your view of the situation, allowing you to grok it completely. And in the context of Werner Vinge's amazing mind-bending science fiction novel, A Fire Upon the Deep. The importance of Exopodia is... That those sapient bushes riding around on six-wheeled scooters have been... Genetically programmed to be a fifth column of spies and agents for the great evil. Today, however, here we seek different key insights than Hexapodia. And Brad, what are our key insights today? Today, we seek key insights about the attack on Biden-era industrial policy. All of the people who say that Biden's Chips Act and IRA and other things back to the speed of the recovery and general macroeconomic management, that all the people who say that Biden's doing it wrong, especially in industrial policy. And we are wondering why they are saying this and whether there is, in fact, anything to it. Because looking around at the U.S. economy right now, I kind of think that Biden's industrial policy is kind of working and that we have a very, very nice economy to which some of the credit indeed belongs to the president and the team, although he's had a huge amount of good luck as well. I agree. Um, and so I think that the the attacks are basically coming from several quarters. One mm -hmm. is the, you know, the standard Cato libertarians or my friend Michael Strain, who will just get up there and say, industrial policy always fails, industrial policy always fails, and they'll just keep thumping that tub. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and Michael Strain is also saying that the Fed should keep raising interest rates until it has solid evidence that inflation is on a glide path for the, back to 2%, which is a guaranteed optimal control recipe for overshoot and for producing <laughs> lots of cycles. It's as if you were a driving coach. And we're saying you have to keep the wheel hard to the left until the car is pointing in the direction of that you want to go. And only after it's pointing in the direction you want to go, do you start turning the wheel back from the left to neutral. Wow, um, Brad, I was about to explain, uh, you know, this the optimal control with momentum and then you did it. Yes. Well, yes, it is optimal control with momentum. It's case, an easy way to make a 90 degree left turn and then continue and crash into the car in the right lane of the street you're turning onto with much unpleasantness, followed by the appearance of triple A vehicles, insurance adjusters, rises in your insurance rates and so forth. That makes me think that because Michael Strain is my friend and is wrong about 62% of the time, we should get him on the podcast and argue vigorously with him. Yes, because he is smart. So why is he wrong 62% of the time? Oh, because he is one of the last true libertarian economic sort of ideologues. You know, he, uh -huh. the, the old libertarianism of, you know, 1985 is really his right. touchstone. Mm -hmm. And, um, and he doesn't really deviate from that. He's a, uh, um yeah he's we we know people like that on all sides of the of the aisle and he's just we do the, indeed you know do do it's indeed. like scott lincecum right it's like the cato he's like the cato people but he happens mm -hmm. to be working at ai but he's uh he's he's yeah. essentially a cato guy perhaps i was wondering if maybe it's just that the aei is the brain eater hmm. um perhaps more so than the cato institute ai gives well, AI concentrates much less on ideological rigor when hiring its uh, fellows. Yes. And so you get a lot of maverick people at AI who just write some random stuff. Sometimes this but, is to their credit, sometimes just the opposite. But it also grades people much more on political insiderness and effectiveness. Yes. You know, than it's Cato, more, more which... With a size less... Uh, yeah, yeah, that Cato would lo loves to go down with the ship. Um, under a hail of shells from 16-inch guns, no matter from what direction they're coming from. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the AEI wants to be invited to do private briefings with Republican senators. Yeah. Any Republican <laughs> senator, no matter how crazy. Okay, the, the all right. Class battleships are going to shell the Cato Institute. I really like that. Uh, that okay, um, so we have Cato, et cetera. Government. Those are dead ender. You know, I'm glad those guys are there just as a null hypothesis, sort of like, you know, right. pro forma restatement of the old view because they they update they update their beliefs on how, you know, things like development and technology work so rarely that mm -hmm. they're kind of easy to out debate. Sorry, yes. Michael, you have to come on our podcast. Or I get to say things like that about you. Um, 
we they're kind of easy to out debate uh because they're they just don't update frequently on the like the way that milton friedman was absolutely certain that the swedish development um social democratic development and prosperity model was about to crash in 1976 and right. you know every three years he would say it's about to crash and he yeah. continued to do that until the day he died. That it was simply not possible, not sustainable. You know, that it was, as Hegel would say, not rational. And hence, it could not be real. Wait, so you're saying five and months was a Friedman unit? It was three years was a Milton oh, unit. three years, three years. Wait, six three months years is a Tom Friedman unit. Of Sweden crashing. Yes, six months there, is the Tom Friedman unit. Is the Tom Friedman unit of, of Iraq succeeding or something like that. And we're going to have to find another Friedman who has only a one-month time. Um, it's Benjamin Friedman. But anyway. Um... <laughs> I see. Okay. All right. So, uh, what did Ben do to deserve that? Anyway, I mean, Sweden did have a crash, but I, it ironically, did. it was a financial crash from capital account liberalization. Yes, yes, yes. Exactly. It's like it was the opposite exactly. of what Friedman thought would happen. No, you know, I mean, as I said, as one of the Swedish deputy finance ministers told me at the time, we have all these beliefs about how capitalist banks will do it much, much better than a government. And so we let them loose. And the first thing they do is they sell huge amounts of unhedged puts on the Deutsche Bank. Okay. <laughs> So sophisticated ones in the sense that they guarantee mortgages of people who are borrowing in Deutschmarks and building cottages in Lapland. Um, but still, you know, enormous risks on the grounds that, you know, the no way the Swedish kroner will devalue relative to the Deutschmark is there. Um, right. And lo and behold. So so the second, the oh, second right, class right. of critics yes. we have yes. are uh, progressive critics. Uh -huh. I think that Biden is not doing enough for the unions. Um, Biden is a tool of the neoliberals Biden is and is secretly Robert Rubin in disguise. Right, Robert Rubin in disguise. And uh, I think that those critics have been a little half-hearted because they, on some level, they know they're never getting better than this. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think that, you know, they they don't want to cede the Overton window and say this is the best thing ever because if they say this is the best thing ever then the you know your overton window might be a tug of war between this is the best thing ever and maybe we should do something differently which might result in some intermediate uh, outcome which they don't want so i think uh you know though they're a little um they're a little tongue-in-cheek about biden not yeah and of course they want to remind biden to like do this or that for unions um, mm -hmm. what's, but what's when you troll them on twitter they seem to be extremely extremely mad well, they get extremely mad at the uh, the the um, the third group of critics. Actually, I thought of a fourth. So, you know, among the many groups of okay. critics here, fear, surprise, and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Um, yes. So, all right. So, the the third group of critics are the supply side progressives. Um, right. Ezra Klein. Uh, basically, all you need is Ezra Klein. He's the the Death Star of opinion. Uh, yes. You know. He has okay. Influence of which I can only dream you know um, i i should i should get a, a, a so why does a death star seem to have a positive valence as an instrument of power given that they're both so easy to blow up i don't know man fear i mean they're worse than the line. battle cruiser hood right <laughs> um the battle cruiser hood at least took six large shells before one of them ignited a blow-up fire um, wait 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 which war was that when was the hood was that jutland no, no, the Bismarck. The it was other battle cruisers oh, that oh, sunk yeah, at Jutland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, that yeah. was the Atlantic battles of World War Two. Yes, got it right. Which mattered a lot, but didn't. Well, um, you know. the battleships were not effective in commerce trading. Yes, but yes. um, yes. yeah, the Germans were like two battleships into their attempt to replicate the self-defeating arms race of World War One. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um. Okay. Anyway, so so right. Ezra Klein, Ezra um, Klein, and the supply side progressives, and you know, I I agree with this too. Although I think that Biden, you know, I haven't I haven't leveled this critic at the Biden administration because I actually right. think the Biden administration has been extremely good on this. Mm -hmm. I'm count me as a Biden administration shill, I guess. Yes. Um, I I'm I'm trying not to become a Biden administration shill, and I just am becoming a Biden administration shill out of accident. 
Um, yes. You know, I, I tried to uh, I tried to fight Heather Boucher in our interview and I was just like, you know, I don't I'm I, you know, I'm, I'm too much. Biden's doing too good. I can't do it. You know, Well, she is so very happy and optimistic. Um, you know, she is, that... she is very happy and optimistic um, and it's infectious. Yeah. People got so mad at that interview. Everyone was deluging me with emails saying you're a Biden administration shill. And I'm just like, OK, I guess I am. All right. So if you weren't a Biden administration shill and you did want to give a capsule description of the supply side progressive Ezra Klein critique of Biden's industrial and macro policy, what would you say? Um, well, I would say that it's um, it's in danger of mm -hmm. of supporting procedural requirements like NEPA. Yeah. Um, community group input and democratic special interests including unions uh mm -hmm. to, to such a large degree that it makes it impossible to actually build clean energy and semiconductors mm -hmm. and personally as the biden shall i am i would say that there is a danger of that happening but it is not yet manifested so it's good to warn about but not right. yet good to criticize about because mm -hmm. we've seen biden take on nipa in a very serious way uh, with a series of recent proposed rule changes, and we've seen, you know, um, we've seen Biden, uh, you know, support unions, but then, but then also use some non-union labor and and sort of compromise between those two. And we've seen, um, I don't know honestly about the the community group input. That's a little opaque, so I can't say how that's going. But I think mm -hmm. Biden has not gone overboard with t attempting to turn industrial policy into a giveaway to democratic special interests i think the administration is aware of this danger and they while in public they need to support constantly support these special interests rhetoric in private they have not given them too many goodies or so or the third policy. class of critiques is that biden is taking money that should go to investing in america and boosting america's productivity and instead, via his desire for consensus and his requests for community input and so on and so forth, he's turning it into a giveaway to Democratic rent-seeking interest groups of the moment. Um, and the second class of critics says that while Biden appears to be turning it into a giveaway for Democratic interest groups of a moment, that is actually smoke and mirrors. And he is actually the second coming of Robert Rubin. Right. Or maybe the third coming of Nathan Rothschild. I don't even remember who that is. No. Um, the richest man, richest private citizen in the world in the first half of the 1800s. That's you know, on my brain, um, on my brain, because last night for... Because I'm a self-hating tool, I was reading David Harvey's guide to... Geog Left-wing geographer David Har Harvey's guide to Marx's capital. Um, and in the course of which he talks about how the Rothschilds overthrew governments in 1848. Okay, so Nathan Rothschild is the basis of the Canadian sitcom character, Nathan for You. <laughs> I think not. <laughs> you know, that, you know, he was a, he was a sec, Nathan was a second generation Rothschild and the guy of their guy in Britain. But, you know, none of the Rothschilds wanted to overthrow governments in 1848, so the largely because they first, the plan. Yeah. First, we overthrow the government and then profit. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Nathan, no. for you, we should yes. actually do yes. a parody. Nathan Rothschild for yes. you. The, 1800s. the problem no is get that it except for a few people accuse us of being anti-Semitic. Yes, that all of the Rothschilds, they not they loaned huge amounts of money to governments, and they also loaned huge amounts of money to conservative ministers, finance ministers of governments, in order to encourage the finance ministers to make sure the governments actually paid them back. Um, and if the government goes away, you know, not just do their loans to the government go away, but you know, also their loans to the ex-finance ministers you know, go away as well. Um, right. Let's get back on track. The fourth yeah. group of critics, which I just thought of, okay, uh, is actually The Economist magazine. And yes. Various other British econ journalists, uh, some of them yes. at the Financial Times. Right. Um, who have started to say that decoupling will never work. Mm -hmm. um, we've just got to rely on China for everything. Chinese manufacturing will always be you know, super dominant, um, and that this is just, you know, um, basically, basically saying 
the the 2010s were it and the new the new china will just be more china and we've just got to invest more in china is stupid and you failed and blah 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 mm, so decoupling will never work china's manufacturing is too good you can't correct for externalities you know all, this all stuff. you can do yeah. yeah all you can do is recognize that the market giveth the market taketh away blessed be the name of the market and that's the best yes. we can do in the hopes that you can do anything else right you know, now the well, people it's... in the british the in the british financial yeah. commentary that will not say that explicitly because that plays very well in britain but i'm sorry yes. that plays very poorly in britain if you say the market will handle everything then british people will you know a million lilliputian british people will crawl down your throat and rip out your internal organs from the inside right. so right. you can't say that um instead you have to frame it as a failed assault on china which at least you know Placates the, that that that's something that will pass the roving eye of the angry Corbinites, um, you know, and and get to the Americans who are its real target. Uh, yes, because so if you if you depict this as like you know a failed assault on 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 China, then you can mm -hmm. you can slip in the you know the the old sort of free trade dogmatism under the rubric of like you know why is biden trying to break and destroy the world and blah 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 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the economist yes. has been doing this um uh christian odendahl mike bird uh mm -hmm. as well as some of the people at the financial times the financial times is a little split yeah um uh yeah the financial times is a bit split but the but the economist has definitely gone all in and you know, the economist always says, always writes every article in the same voice. Yes. You know, the economist voice of authority, which is really their core product and which I enjoy immensely. Mm -hmm. The problem is it forces you to read harder to tell if they actually know what they're talking about. And I would say sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. The economist right. has good and bad articles like any publication, but you just have to pay because they're because all written in the same depends voice. You have to pay on, whether, on whether the 25 year old who recently graduated from Oxford actually knows anything about this deeper about this than the briefing his editor has handed him or not correct which is quite random exactly you know and it's no longer all he's at least you right know, there are a bunch of she's among the 25 year olds now which is a good thing um yes although we don't no. know because there's no bylines in the economist and so uh you know we people just assume they're all men like they were 60 years ago right right anyway okay now, I would say that we should actually say a fifth. Um, oh, a fifth. There should be a fifth critic critique. Among the many. The problems of implementation. Right. Who's criticizing um, this? Well, at the moment, nobody is. You know, hmm. um, you know, Matt Iglesias said that he was going to in a relatively recent column. Um, what is he? He's low boring um yes you know um Big he said he was that. going to write about arguments on the left between supply side liberalism and its critics in which he said you can't resolve anything at that level of abstraction that instead you have to look at do you actually have the capability to implement um, these policies in a way so that they actually achieve their goals before you can even argue about whether these right goals are not. Because if you don't have the right ability to implement, you know, then question fights over what the goals should be are pretty stupid. Um, instead, you should say, what is our capability to implement things and what can we do um, that is within that capability? The example being actually getting more buses on the street so single mothers can hold down jobs because they can get to work and back in a reasonable amount of time as they juggle childcare and employment responsibilities. But he did not do that. Um, instead, he decided to make fun of national conservatives and funding conservatives instead. You know, and make fun of the inability of conservatives to implement absolutely anything you know, at all. On any level, I'm, I'm sure the conservatives are just feeling really pained. That you know, they're just feeling really bad about that right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, well, yes, but he could have written that column. He right? could have written that column. He probably will because you know, yes. 
he and I both he won't write be able f- to resist himself for he won't be able to resist the temptation for long. Right. Anyway, okay. all right. So let's let's go on to some of these these criticisms. Um, are there any of these critics that we want to rebut or discuss more than any of the others? I I find that I can't really that that all of the criticisms seem weak to me. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I mean, Ezra Klein it comes the closest to being right, but uh-huh. is more of in in more of the sense of a warning mm-hmm. rather than a criticism. Because I think Biden, the Biden administration, has not yet fallen into this failure mode, and it is simply the likeliest failure mode were they to fail. Mm-hmm. So it's good to warn about, but I don't think the Biden administration has yet fallen into this actual pitfall. Um, so I, I would I would say that you know Ezra Klein's warnings are timely and useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then people who carry this, you know, people who read Ezra Klein, people like my friend Adam Ozimek or yeah. a couple of my friends at the Institute for Progress who read Ezra Klein and decide that Biden is already screwing up in this fashion, mm-hmm. have jumped the gun. Right. That, that, in fact, this is only a way that Biden could screw up in the future, not a way that Biden has already screwed up. Because if you look at what Biden is actually doing with regards to NEPA, you know, his his series of proposed rule changes was robust. And if you look at what Biden is actually doing with unions, he's you know, the, the giveaways to unions are are real, but not dramatic. And, you know, and there's yeah, there's nothing wrong with making sure that money that has the government's strong fingerprints on it is going to wind up creating good jobs you know, at good wages you know, rather than bad jobs at lousy wages. Um, you know, right. if only look at the trouble Obama got in from his green energy stuff, where all anyone could say, not just Republicans, but a huge bunch of centrists as well, was Solyndra, Solyndra, Solyndra for a decade, even right. though the benefit cost ratio of those green investments was extraordinarily positive. Elon Musk creating Tesla, creating <laughs> Tesla yes. was worth 100 cylinders. Indeed, literally yes. 100 cylinders. A thousand cylinders, possibly a thousand cylinders, if you believe market valuation. No, I think Tesla's overvalued, yes. uh, you know, a bit, but not mm-hmm. that much. Like, no, I think Tesla's definitely worth hun- uh, maybe multiple hundreds of cylinders, and it's yes. just, yeah. Okay. Um, um, so do Adam Ozimek and company think that Biden has fallen into this trap, or do they think that if they do not warn against it, he is likely to? Adam Ozimek believes that Biden has already fallen into this trap and was always doomed to fall into this trap. And that's because the structure of the Democratic Party is such that it cannot actually run a pro-growth industrial policy. Correct. That Um, that is what they In the same way that the Republican Party cannot run an actual pro-democracy policy, um, either at home or abroad, because it is actually, yeah. The Republican Party Mm. cannot run anything. I met mm-hmm. I hung out with a uh, with a conservative lawyer the other day who was on the Bush side of the of, of Bush versus Gore. Ah, OK. And and he was absolutely dismal about the prospects of the conservative movement in the Republican Party in because? terms of actual competence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it is basically his assessment that only the Federalist Society, of which he is a part, has any capability to do anything at all. Um, you know, and, he, and he's not wrong either. Uh, you know, we don't like the Federal Society, but they 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 can they're still competent administrators in some sense. Uh, there's just, you know, not many of them. And there's a difference between getting mad at conservatives for doing bad things and getting and, you know, sort of despairing because the conservatives are unable to do anything, anything at all, anything. Right. Like they're just totally paralyzed because and, and, and you know, part of that. We could get on a tangent, but part of that is education polarization, right? Like, all if you have a college degree, you're probably a Democrat at this point. And that's a problem, because what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, I mean, even if you... Uh, obviously is there, the, is there obviously a Obviously, the Republican politicians and yes. official, uh, officials have college degrees, but the point is the people electing them don't. Yeah. Is there a curriculum you could think of that would create a critical mass of people who... Would graduate be competent at policy analysis and be Republican. You know, um, you know in Probably, the 1970s and 1980s, I'm... you could, right? You could say that there were, you know, 
a huge amount of people who still believed in some form of central planning um, and in some form of that more regulation has got to be good because the risks of regulatory capture are always very small. Um, Intellectual so, libertarianism sort of refloated Republican yeah, intelligentsia for a yeah, generation. For a generation. But now it's died and, you right. know, you... You know, you really have to, in order to get along with this particular crowd, you know, you really have to be very, very strange indeed. Right? Um, you know, look at, that, look at, yeah, that yeah. I think, again, again, in this piece from Matt, where he was faked that he was going to savage the left and then went and savaged the right, you know, <laughs> he very much damns Orrin Cass with faint praise. Um, saying he very much likes what Orrin Cass is trying to do and the movement Orrin Cass is trying to run with national conservatism and et cetera, et cetera, and raising and highlighting very lots of important questions, but betrayed by um, education polarization, you know, which means that the only people he can get to write about trade policy are Trump's lead negotiator, Robert Lighthizer. And the only person he can get to write immigration policy is Jeff Sessions. Right. Um, yeah, I would say uh, this is not the fault um, of education polarization. No, if you have political doctrines, the political doctrines that have no hooks into reality-based discourse, you know, you should not be surprised that the talent pool of people coming out of college actually being able to do policy analysis, um, willing to sign up for you rather than for private equity firms is rather thin. Yes, exactly. One one that was a big um that was a big problem with the the modern conservative project is that yeah. it focused on the private sector so much that all the republicans went into private equity instead of becoming professors, becoming well, intellectuals, no, no. There going was, government. There was there was a large bunch of Jack Kemp republicans, right? Of yeah, people willing to work for the public sector or people willing to bounce back and forth. 40 years ago, um, yes. Yeah, but eventually because... you get to the 90s and the 2000s and increasingly this drain from the private sector, I think, starts to make itself felt. But... I mean, there's... Yeah, we can, the, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Smart Maybe. people should be... Yeah, but then there's, an, and there's a substitution effect and an income effect. You know, there should now be... Bunches and bunches of people who have made their pile and would love to be a deputy assistant secretary of state in a retirement job or a deputy assistant secretary of the treasury as a retirement job from finance and actually do some public service. That is yeah. true. And, anyway, so the know, Republicans yeah, have no there. ideas, but we're not going to get then we're not going to fix that by sitting around talking about how they have no ideas. Let's talk no. more about the criticisms of Biden. Um, let's talk about the uh, clash between Ezra Klein and David Dion. Um, I'm fairly biased here because David Dion has said many things that are not wrong. true. Mm -hmm. um, not just wrong, but he, you know, he said Ezra Klein wants to repeal the Clean Air Act. What? He said, well, you know, and, you can and... make a case. You can make a case that Matthew Iglesias wants to um, repeal workers' comp. Um, Perhaps, but, but I don't think Diane is. You can't right. make a case. You can't make a case that Ezra Klein. It requires a very uncharitable reading of Matt to get there. Right. Um, but not even an uncharitable reading of Ezra will say that he calls for repeal of the Clean Air Act. Right. And with, then okay. when I wrote a post saying that, um, when I wrote a post saying that American workers, by and large, don't know how to build semiconductor fabs. Because mm -hmm. we don't build enough, we have not heretofore Builds. built enough fabs in this country. Therefore, yes. they don't have the experience. Therefore, we must get foreign workers to come in and teach them and transfer their knowledge directly mm -hmm. by working with mm -hmm. them on the job. Yes, David Dion and his um, one of his his writers uh, repeatedly said that I thought American workers were stupid and idiots and incompetent. And then. Uh, and and then after rebutting that straw man, which, of course, I had explicitly disavowed, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, American workers aren't stupid. They said, Noah thinks American workers are idiots. After I explicitly 
disavowing this idea and explaining what I thought instead, they still accused me of this straw man. And then after rebutting that straw man proceeded to declare that I had been quote unquote murdered. Um, and you know, and then got lots of people to say Noah Smith is a shill. And I mean, not a lot of people, it was a small angry number of, of a few dozen Twitter people, but it was, it was very much, you know, lefty friends of mine were DMing me and saying, what is Diane talking about? Yes. Um, and it was very similar to what they did when, you know, Diane said, Ezra Klein wants to repeal the Clean Air Act. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, they're not, they're not people you can argue because they'll argue with a, a fantasy version of you instead of the real you and get mm-hmm. mad at the fantasy version of, of you and then, mm-hmm. and then scream. Mm-hmm. And it, it's that's that's difficult to argue. And so I am biased here in, in terms right. of the, the manner that David Diane and, and company have been arguing against Ezra Klein greatly turns me off. And mm-hmm. yet I still have to be fair and say, OK, maybe those guys make some points. So and the point is a lack of capacity of the American administrative state to actually do this. Or the point is that the Biden administration is too much a captive of the neoliberal wing of the Democratic Party um, to actually do this? Um, Or is it that the capitalist mode of production can produce economic growth, but it cannot produce a reasonable income distribution? Well, in terms of of what point, you know, if you want me to steel man Diane's case here. Even though I've been reading John Holbo and he is convincing me that steel manning people who have bad ethics um, is almost always wrong, you know, because it turns it allows lots of very bad actors to run under cover of the steel manned version of the argument, you know, um, you know, that, you know, it's not the case that a deep attachment to liberty you know, motivates most of those who are opposed to the public accommodation section of the Civil Rights Act of 1965. Sure, sure, sure. Yes, I agree that steel manning is is fraught with danger. Yes. But the point is that there mm-hmm. is a there is a a critique of supply side progressivism here that would be good if it were made by people who were, you know, better at arguing and a little more reasonable. Um, and, and that the critique, critique is this: is, the critique yeah. is that at some point Republicans will win an election. Yes. And when the Republicans win an election, not if, but when they win an election, based on pure fatigue with Democrats or Democrats running uh-huh. someone that the voters don't like, or whatever thermostatic politics, whatever happens, the Republicans will win an election. And when that happens, we will need continuity of some of these policies. And that continuity will require institutional depth that is not necessarily created by the optimal, instantaneously most efficient, optimal policy. So that if we have stronger unions during a Republican administration, that can provide a counterweight that that, you know, cheap, rapid construction during a Democratic administration won't. Mm-hmm. That's and when when Diane says we need a liberalism that builds power, he doesn't talk about the fact that Republicans are going to at some point win an election. But that's what but we he should, should be about. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is an argument to be made there, and I think that unions are part of that. But that the Reagan NLRB shows that it's really really easy for a Republican president to just kneecap unions pretty quickly, if you want to, and mm-hmm. especially as weak as they currently are, you know. They Reagan kneecapped unions at a time when unions were much stronger than they are right now. Right, still at a very at a very low ebb of power. Mm-hmm. So I think that that you were on to the right idea when you talked about the administrative state, which I think is a thing that Diane and the the people you know at the at the prospect do not talk about enough, mm-hmm. and which many progressives do talk about. Todd Tucker um, does talk about this, and he should talk about it more. Uh, because it's really important, which is to say mm-hmm. that if you looked at the Trump years and the institutional destruction that Trump attempted to wreak on the nation, you saw that what the, the what managed to resist him was the civil service, which he called the deep state, which yep. is not what we call deep states in other countries. But no. it was the civil service that that did and the military did manage to resist Trump 
you know, in, in many fronts. And um, by so, following the law, by following the law, exactly. Okay. The, the rule of law, not rule by law. Mm-hmm. And okay. and so we need to do that with with economic policy, too. Um, you know, we need we need the administrative state. The administrative state can overcome NEPA. Uh, to some degree, I mean, obviously you have to reform NEPA as well. It's not, mm-hmm. but it's not just reform. You need a the the way Japan builds all this stuff very fast is that they right. have a whole bunch of very competent bureaucrats sitting there checking the box and saying, okay, this project does this, 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 this. Okay, mm-hmm. you're good to go, go. Yes. And then they do that all day and they do it very well. And we need, you know, Ronald Reagan was exactly wrong when he said that the scariest words in the English language are, "I'm from the government and I'm here to help." I, you know, the, yep. I'm here to help. He said those are the scariest words in the English language. Mm-hmm. Um, the the far scarier words are, hi, I'm from a nonprofit and I'm here to take all your money and do nothing. And mm-hmm. Reagan's, you know, or it wasn't just Reagan either. It was a lot of people. The dismantling of the civil of the civil service or the, the shrinking of the U.S. civil service uh, relative to, you know, GDP, government spending, whatever metric you want, allowed um nonprofits to fill the gap and this was progressive privatization right this is mm-hmm. not even outsourcing to like private prisons or or you know like for-profit companies but outsourcing to nonprofits like all the infamous you know podco or whatever in in san francisco democratic progressive outsourcing to nonprofits was arguably just as bad of a of a of a method of privatization of mm-hmm. central government services based on this it, it's almost like not, we had a I would deal say to implement Reagan. Bad, bad, but not as bad. Yeah, um, not as bad as outsourcing to for profits. Mm, yes, I would say that in some time, in some cases, it's actually worse. When you in, give in a for profit, when you give a for profit a monopoly, you've completely killed, creamed yourself. Right. In the cases where outsourcing to for profits um, would involve competition, and outsourcing yes. to nonprofits involve yes. no competition, then the outsourcing yes. to nonprofits. Can be even worse. It can be even worse. But, but it, the real reason it, ever... it was worse is because progressives yeah. did it, and progressives were the only people who could have stood up for the administrative state. Mm-hmm. So that's the diversion of energy argument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, so what we've now gotten kind of to the root of things—that is, sources of social power in the 21st century. Um, the big one is money. Right. We are in a world in which money is a source of social power. And money is a great source of social power. And what the money wants, the money gets. Um, We need other sources of social power as well. And one of them is provided by a bunch of laws um, that people should act well and do good things and by the rule of law, which obeyed by the civil service was the thing that kept Trump from being um, as bad, as big a disaster as he might have been. Not that he wasn't a disaster on so many fronts. Um, and then you also need to have an effective administrative staff. Um, but you also need to have an organized civil society of some point. Um, unions, pressure groups, and NGOs. Yes, I that agree that we just, need... That don't just... Terrify we... people and guilt trip into donating them. Um... I agree that we need civil society, but I'm, I'm, I want to strengthen the administrative state at this point. State first. State first. You know, you know, that the is, what? you know, that is when. Oh, who was it? Um, when the conservative Missouri senator goes to the how the little house on the prairie. Uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder's kind of home and their adult home in southern Missouri to shake hands with reliable Missouri voters and talk about how great they are. Um, He doesn't want a middle-aged woman to come up to her and say, Senator, um, I hear that if we got if we accepted Medicaid expansion, that the Missouri health system would have an extra $250 million next year. And there are an awful lot of people in my hometown who are hardworking, but who have diabetes and COPD and so forth, and who really need more treatment than they are getting yet. Um, you know, please, will you help make this happen? 
Yeah. One person says that to him and he flees. <laughs> He's gone in 10 minutes. <laughs> Admittedly, the person who said that to him was not a Missouri voter, but a California voter. And in fact, was my wife. Uh, <laughs> um, but still, you what? did a psyop. I love it. <laughs> he did not do, but still, you know, but still a situation in which there are means of communication around the money flow in response to grifting direct mail and direct internet fund appeals and means of communication that are other than, you know, social or broadcast media one-way parasocial relationships. Yeah. You know, is something that unions did. You know, and also that Tammany Hall did. And that various other things did, and yet we seem to have social and broadcast and streaming media ourselves out of the business of actually having a functioning <laughs> society. And this is a problem. <laughs> and it's not a problem that's going to be solved by a little more money for fats. Yeah. yeah. Especially since, you know, the American administrative state you know, offers some money to Intel to build fabs and some money to TSMC to build fabs. And Intel is upset that TSMC is getting some money. And meantime, the American non-administrative economy is planning over the course of the next year to spend $40 billion buying chips from TSMC that it is then going to use to build its next generation of fabs. All right. So and I've, I've... You know, the Lord willing and the People's Liberation Army don't come. Yeah, that will be more of an investment in improving semiconductor capacity and productivity in Taiwan than the U.S. will be able to make in Arizona and Ohio. Yeah. yeah. Which means the CHIPS part of the CHIPS Act at the leading edge will do nothing but curb TSMC's monopoly power, which is well worth doing, um, which, which is, is well, fine. well worth doing. Which is fine. Um, but it would be nicer uh, to be doing more in the legacy realm as well. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. We don't, you know, a lot of what we, a lot of what we need is, is, mm -hmm. you know, older generation okay. chips. I don't know. Yep. 28 nanometers. I don't know. Uh, instead of two nanometers. Something that we could buy from China. Something we could buy from China, but instead, why don't we buy it from some large scale fab and like, I don't know, the Dominican Republic actually, actually yes, the, yes, the yes. real uh, place. This is the big, yes, this is, we should be friend shoring rather than onshoring. Right. Yes. Honestly, I think that the biggest uh the biggest place for friend everyone is ignoring but we're yeah. going to make stop ignoring is Japan. Yep. Japan yes. has all the people who know how to build the semiconductors, they just have really 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 bad uh corporate culture that cannot adopt that cannot use software at all and tries to in reinvent all software in-house and this makes them die all the time. And mm -hmm. instead and they just have this like paranoid, isolated corporate culture that's sort of right out of post-war America. No coincidence there. But um, are the Japanese versions of standard programs, are the Japanese translated so have such bad affordances with Japan or oh, what is no. going so the, on? The, what happens is that every instead of using third party solutions uh, yeah. or um, Japanese um, or instead of using, yeah, like basically solution what we would call solutions japanese companies do software development in-house the mm -hmm. ones that do try to use solutions actually go through these insanely inefficient middlemen that offer them you know sort of point and click packages of solutions that they don't understand and can't adapt um the mm -hmm. way that the 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 thing that american companies and companies now in most countries do where essentially you work with a, an enterprise software provider to customize enterprise software for your needs on a dynamic basis doesn't exist in japan and right this is a huge problem, and it's one reason why. It's also one reason why Japan has no software industry to speak of, um, because their local market doesn't exist. Can't buy their stuff. You can have export software like video games, but you can't. That's prepackaged and you know whatever. But you can't, like Japanese company. Anyway, this is a subject for a column of mine. I'm gonna okay. also another episode. But Japan is now very open to FDI. Yes. And so what that means is that uh, 
is that TSMC is investing in Japan. Samsung will invest in Japan, given the new uh, South Korea-Japan rapprochement. And okay. American companies should invest in Japan as well. Because other than earthquakes, Japan really has everything going for it in terms of the semiconductor industry. The wages are incredibly cheap. The mm -hmm. approval processes are incredibly good. Everything runs like it's supposed to. And you just have all the labor there. Right. Um, so anyway. Okay. So um, Spanish Inquisition. No one expects it. No one expects it. Did anyone yes. inspect industrial policy? Um, you did. Well, we did, but we kind of dared not use the word, right? Um, that when Steve Cohen and I said it was time to make one last, you know, charge of the light brigade at this, um, we said we have to, you know, um, we have to rhetorically frame it as Hamiltonian, um, thus running in the shadow of, you know, Lin-Manuel Miranda. Um, and, you know, um, people in breeches and fancy coats and hats singing hip hop in order to get a hearing. Um, but no, I did not expect, you know, the speed with which people are willing to say, you know, the market prices are getting it wrong. Market prices are not in accordance with social values and simply saying we ought to tweak them. So they are when we know we damned well won't isn't sufficient. Um, we have to do this, 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 and this. Um, the speed with which that came to pass is indeed remarkable. And as long as we can maintain a high-pressure economy, you know, there are hopes that we'll have a good outcome. In other words, industrial policy, if you can keep it. If you can keep it. And if we actually do have the ability to implement it well. You know, and there were enough complete and total screw-ups you know, in the COVID response on the government side to make me kind of doubtful. You know. But we got the vaccines better than China. We got the vaccines better than China, but instead of then starting to ramp up production immediately and injecting people with things as fast as they could roll off the line and constructing a synthetic RCT, from we the did. people actually getting the exam, we held okay. off on large-scale manufacturing for six extra months. And then come 2021, we set ourselves the goal of vaccinating the United States rather than vaccinating the world. Um, let alone this enormous, at the start of it, the not, you know, masks are useful, but we need to reserve high-quality masks for health professionals. Um, at the start, this masks are not useful stuff. You know, you're that... right about the masks, but I think you're wrong about the vaccines. We should really? have, maybe we should have this debate another time about is American state capacity this... high or low. We That's a whole other. We should definitely have this debate at some other time. I will because actually do research for that one. I, uh, I, 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 when I looked into this at the time, you know, I was fairly obsessive about it, you know, and then I found out that essentially the degree to which we were able to overcome manufacturing bottlenecks was absolutely heroic. Yes. The only way we could have been faster is to skip phase three trials for the vaccine. Yes, yes, yes. We go with go without phase three trials and we construct a retrospective artificial phase three trial. The problem um, is that we without phase three world, trials, we don't we don't have effectiveness. We don't know if we it's don't. Effective. We are injecting people with vaccines we think are probably effective and we'll wind up injecting half the people with a less effective or an ineffective vaccine. And we'll have to circle back around and get them later on. And then they die. But then the no, thing is that that they die anyway if they wait six months for the vaccine. Yeah, but nobody who says, like, your vaccine didn't work, you gave it to those people, why, you know, oh, but this other one does, we proved it with an RCT. What? With you a know, retrospective I, synthetic RCT. It's yeah, hard to say. Has, but the, I, I think it's worth pointing yeah, out. Yeah, I think, I think you have a point, but that point is part of the problem, is part of the no, absence of state capacity. No other country in the world did better than us that until it came to the true. last mile of, of getting over the anti-vaxxers, at which point some countries did better. But... Yep. Pache, the uh, anti-vaxxer movement, uh, you know, before we hit the constraint of the anti-vaxxer movement, we did better than pretty much anyone on the planet. Except, I mean, Israel. Israel did better than us. Israel did a better at getting in. You know, Australia and New Zealand still look very, very good at their total reaction. Israel is the size of a potato chip. That's and true. And has an entirely militarized government. Yes. So come on. Yes, yes. 
Okay. Anyway. All right. All right. Until next time. What Until is our final next time, insight, Brad? What is our final key insight? Um, that most of the complaints about Bidenomics and Biden's industrial policy are really, to the extent that they have any grounding in reality at all, complaints about the fact that we have too few sources of effective social power in America today, because the only sources of social power we have now are money, a somewhat shredded rule of law, and a somewhat more badly shredded effectiveness of the administrative staff. And we really need to have a society with more effective sources of social power than that if we are going to effectively slouch towards utopia. I agree. I think my key insight here is that while some bad policies get attacked from all sides, all good policies get attacked from all sides. Yes. If a policy is not being attacked from all sides, um, from left, right, center, below and above, you can be certain that it is not a good policy. Uh, you can be pretty certain that it's not a good policy in the in the long term. In the short term, the attacks may be purely partisan, but in the long yeah. term, it, to hit the sweet spot, you need to get some sort of compromise going on. But also, um, you know, so any successful policy will be attacked from all sides, both because it will represent a, a compromise, but also because it will be so successful that everyone wants a bigger dip at the trough. Okay. Because and, you've created a trough. Yep. Now there's a trough to feed at, and everyone trough. wants a spot at the feeding trough, which didn't exist a while ago, but you've created a feeding trough. And, and saying the something. policy is wrong is a way to get a better pot at the trough. Yes, exactly. Excellent. And? And as always, hexapodia. Is the key insight. Yes. This has been Brad DeLong and Noah Smith's Hexapodia podcast. Um, Thank you very much. On... And oh, yes, on on criticisms of Biden's, industrial, Biden's policy. industrial policy. Thank you very much for listening. And goodbye.